I want you to know that throughout this podcast, I mispronounced the name of Jonathan's son. The correct pronunciation, according to my wife Sharon, and to those who know how to speak English, is Mephibosheth. So I hope my mispronunciation of the name of Jonathan's son is not too much of a distraction. I want to talk to you today and want you to think about the gift that God gives us of another chance. Notice I didn't say that God is the God of a second chance. When I hear that phrase that God is the God of a second chance, I often laugh because I think, okay, what happens when I mess up a second time and I need a third and fourth and four hundredth time? Personally, I know how demoralizing and defeating and discouraging it can be to be given a second chance and then mess up again. So what I mean by the gift of God for another chance is this. I take God at his word and believe that I can stop all my trying and all my striving to redeem myself and become a good and moral person. Another chance from God is a gift where I'm trusting in his promise that God has redeemed me through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for my sins. And when I receive him as Lord... His righteousness is transformed to me. Isn't that a wonderful gift that God has given us? Now, because we have the righteousness of Christ, through him, you are living that other chance. This is your another chance. It's a chance to live the life as a follower of Christ who's being transformed, not by your your own trying or striving, but by trusting in the grace of God that by the Holy Spirit that's at work in you, He is making you into what you want to be, and more importantly, what God wants you to be. Now, that's a process, and it's going to take hundreds and thousands of failures and mistakes and sins on your part. It's not just a second chance, but it's believing that in this this gift that God has given us of another chance, that God is involved in all that process. We're not to give up. God's grace is there. His forgiveness is there. His mercy is there working on us, working in us, working through us to make us and mold us into what he wants us to be according to his will. God is truly the God of another chance. I've talked to people over the years that grieve and they long for just another chance. And they make the similar statements. If I could just have another chance, I would make the most of it. If I could just have another chance, I would do things differently. And many of those people who make that statement are Christians who have virtually given up on the possibility of living the life that God has called them to live. I try to tell them God's not given up on you. This is part of the process. But invariably they will say, no, I I don't believe he can help me. My life is too much of a mess. I've made too many mistakes. I, I don't know if I even believe anymore or similar statements. Church, this is a place for broken people. This is a place where we're welcomed and we receive healing because of what we go through in this life. We must really believe that in church, a life can be transformed because of Jesus Christ. That any life can be saved if they'll accept the gift of God for another I think one of the purposes of the ministry of Jesus was to try to change the perception that God is a hard God looking to get you, looking to judge you, looking and waiting for you to mess up, to sin, and then bring judgment upon you. 
I want you to reflect for just a moment on the training that Jesus gave his disciples. He trained his disciples to know the kindness and the goodness and the mercy and the love and the compassion of God. He not only did that in his teachings, but also in his encounters with other people, didn't he? He certainly gave the gift of another chance to Zacchaeus, that corrupt tax collector. He could have told Peter, look, I told you that you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And he could have said, Peter, I gave you that warrant, I told you, and then you denied me. I gave you that second chance, and you didn't listen. So, man, I had big plans for you. I had wonderful opportunities for you, but I'm not going to use you anymore. He could have said that. You know what he did? Jesus gave Peter the wonderful gift of another chance, didn't he? Who was the first one to speak on the day of Pentecost to the thousands about the wonderful redeeming message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Oh, I could go on and on and tell you the different stories from the old and new of the many wonderful ways where Jesus gave us that gift of another chance through him for what he did because of what he did for us. And he'll do that for you as well. I think one of the great emphasis in Jesus' ministry was the idea of God being Abba, Father. You thought about that? Abba, Father. He was giving us insight to the heart and to the will of God. That God doesn't want to seem distant to us or just a force that's out there. That God truly wants us to know that he cares, he loves, compassion. He's the one involved in the process, dearly loving us as a parent loves his child. Don't you want the very best for your children and your grandchildren? I've often thought what a better person I would be if I treated everyone like I treat my kids and my grandchildren. What a better person I would be. But this idea of God, a God who's not waiting for us to use up our second chance and then zap us with lightning or to kill us or to bring judgment. No, Jesus said, you're to call God your father. He's the Abba Father who runs to meet you when you need his help. He's the Abba Father who vows to love you with an everlasting love. He's the Abba Father who will forgive you 70 times, 70 times. He's the Abba Father who says he loves you with an everlasting love. He's a Father who declares that he's working on us and in us. He's the Abba Father who says, I am for you, not against you. He's the Abba Father who states that in Jesus Christ, I've declared you in a state of no condemnation. You're guilt-free because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. He's the Abba Father who says, welcome to my family. You're an heir of Jesus Christ. You're part of my family. That's the gift that God gives of another chance. Amen? And so when I think about the Abba Father, I think about what's all involved in that gift that God gives us of another chance. It certainly has to deal with our past, doesn't it? The gift of God on the next slide has to deal with our past. I think about the beautiful picture in the story of Mephibosheth, who is the son of Jonathan. A story with long names. I hope I don't trip over his name. I just want to give him a, a nickname, but I don't even know what a nickname would be for him. Mephibosheth. I'll keep trying to say it, all right? But it's recorded in 2 Samuel. It's a beautiful story of how God gives another chance, pictured in the life of David and the son of Jonathan. The story begins in the past of this child named Mephibosheth. He's five years old. And at five years old, his own dad, Jonathan, and his granddad, King Saul, were killed in the same battle. The Philistines were winning the war and were about to just kill off all the royal family that they could. So the nurse that was taking care of Mephibosheth picks him up and begins to run for a place of safety. And in some way, in some manner, she tripped and fell 
and Mephibosheth was crippled for life. The intentions of the nurse were good, weren't they? To get him to safety. But nevertheless, her accident, her tripping up, caused Mephibosheth to spend the rest of his life in pain, crippled, and affected his life from then on. Can I tell you that life is not always fair? Have you found that out yet? Have you given up that notion that life will always be fair? There, there's no promise there that life will ever be fair. And certainly that was the case from a Bible chef. Through no fault of his own, he's now in a lot of pain, crippled, and heading towards exile for most of his early adult life. Maybe you can identify somewhat with my Bible chef. Maybe because people in your past have tripped you up, intentionally or unintentionally. But nevertheless, it has left you with the scars and the pain and the hurt. And it's had a crippling effect on you. Perhaps even today, in your present, you're still nursing the wounds of your past. And it's affecting you mentally and spiritually and emotionally. And how you wished you could change your past. How you could wish things could be different. You're not trying to make excuses or play the blame game. But you can't help feeling like life is so unfair. Maybe Mephibosheth felt that way at times in his life too. Why did she drop me? My life had been so much different if someone had carried me. All those ifs, ifs, ifs. Have you ever played the if game? The if game. Or someone one time told me, I feel like I'm always the last runner on the track, way behind with no hope of ever catching up. No hope of ever catching up. You see, the good news, and here's the good news of the gospel, is that you don't, let, you don't have to let the past determine your future. Your race is not against other people. So stop comparing yourself to other people. In Hebrews 12, the writer says, run the race that is set before you. This is your race set before you. You don't get to choose the racetrack. And you are not competing with other people. This is your race set before you. Run the race, God says, that's set before you. Stop comparing yourselves to others. This is your race. And notice it is set before you. Notice the direction. It's not what's behind you. It's what? It's what's before you. Run the race that is set before you. Run it. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 9. Don't plow your field while looking back. Now, from personal experience, I know what that means. When you try to plow a field of soybeans and you're looking back to see what your brothers are doing, you end up with crooked rows. And crooked rows means you have a lot of weeds in your soybeans, which brings down the price of the soybeans, which will not make your dad and granddad very happy. Learn that from experience. Jesus says, don't plow your field while looking back. Intentionally or not, we are all crippled to some extent from what others did to us in our life, in our past. And I know the one thing we cannot do is compare ourselves to others. And we got to stop playing the blame game at some point. We got to start, stop blaming other people. I've often thought about that vicious cycle. Here I am blaming others in the past for the way I am now. Who in all likelihood, those people are blaming people in their past for the way they are now. Who in all likelihood, those people are blaming people in their past for the way they are now. It's a vicious cycle, isn't it? And it just never ends when we're always blaming other people. I could go on and on. 
I think about the gift that God has given us. It's another chance to be redeemed from our past. Don't let the past determine your future. Another gift of God in terms of this another chance is that it also helps us in our present day circumstance. In our present day circumstance, like Mephibosheth, you need another chance for the present. Mephibosheth has been crippled and lame and in pain and carried in exile to this land called Lodabar. Lodabar was a far cry from the king's court, far removed from those days when he was part of the royal family on the property owned by King Saul and the royal family. The royal child is living in Lodabar. Lodabar means the wasteland. It was the slums of the time. Here he is, a royal child living in the wasteland. He's not only there at five years old, he continues to grow into a teenager, becomes a young man, and now has his own family. He has his own son. He has lived in Lodabar, the wasteland, for so long. He's in the wrong location, but he has the right identity. His location for years was living in the wasteland, but his identity never changed. He was always part of the royal blood. Are you with me? In a letter that Peter wrote, he reminds us as Christians that we're part of the royal family, that we're the chosen people of God. And right now in your life, you may say, you know, I feel like I'm living in Lodabar. I feel like I'm really wasting the life that God has given me. You may be living in Lodabar, but your identity remains the same. You're a child of living God. I want you to remind yourself right now who God says you are. You are who God says you are. You need to remind yourself of this so you can get out of Lodabar with the grace of God. There's 15 things here on the board that I've written down that's here. There's others that you can look at. But I want to remind you of your identity in Christ. You are royalty. You are child of the king. Do you understand that? And being the child of the king, here's what it means. You're beautiful. You're precious. You're loved and special. You have a purpose. You're cared for and precious in the sight of God. You're strong and important and forgiven. Because of God's gift to you, your identity has changed. You're a new creation, protected, empowered, and chosen. You're part of the royal family. Quit living in Lodabar. Get out of the wasteland and come back to the king's court that he's calling you to. And if you go back to the slide of 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 4, David's told that Mephibosheth is living in the land of Lodabar. That is his present location. You're still a child of God. He was still a child of the king. And maybe like Mephibosheth, you've been living there for quite some time. And your life is moving on. In fact, you've been living where you are right now apart from God. Although you're a child of God, you've forgotten what it's like to live in the king's court. Maybe you're thinking, I can't change my life. Nothing's ever going to change. This is the way it's always going to be. Maybe I deserve to live this life because nothing's working. I'm in this load of bar. This is my lot in life. Can I tell you when you're saying those things, when you're thinking those things, when you're ingraining those into you, that's not God speaking to you. That's your enemy speaking to you. You know who your enemy is? It's Satan. You know what Jesus said about Satan? Jesus said that the devil is a what? He's a liar. Is he a good liar? Oh, he's a good liar. He gets you to believe things about yourself that aren't true. And to believe them for so long, you believe they're the truth. Oh, the devil is a great liar who's deceiving you and destroying that possibility that God is always willing to give you another chance. He is calling you out of your wasteland. 
Mephibosheth did not know in his present day situation that the grace of God was about to knock on his door and give him another opportunity. And that's the grace of God when you talk about another change. It's all God's grace. All of God's grace. You see, years before Mephibosheth was even born, there was this friendship between his dad, Jonathan, and David. Jonathan was the natural heir to the throne when King Saul was to pass on. But God had anointed David as king. It didn't affect their friendship. It was a deep friendship, committed to each other. And on one day, Jonathan said, if I should ever die, David, would you make a promise to me that you would show some kindness towards my family? And David said, I will. If you should ever die, I will show that kindness and love towards your family. Years later, when David dear friend Jonathan and King Saul were killed in that battle. It says here in 2 Samuel 9, David thought about extending kindness and grace for the sake of Jonathan, for the sake of Jonathan's family. Is there anybody in this family of Jonathan that's still alive? And he learns that Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan. And David tells the servant Ziba, I want you to go to Lodabar and bring him back to the king's court. And here goes Ziba. The dispenser of grace. He knocks on the door of Mephibosheth there in Lodabar and says, the kindness and the grace of David is going to send you back to Jerusalem where you belong. The grace was the king. The grace was the king, was what the king extended to Mephibosheth who could never ever do anything to earn this. He needed help getting out of Lodabar. He needed a servant come tell him the news that it's time to get out of Lodabar. I like what Josh just said a moment, that God pursues us through other people. God's grace pursues us. We need the zebas of our life knocking on our door, don't we? It's time to get out of your wasteland. What are you doing here? I've come to let you know the king is going to give you grace and kindness. He's getting you out of this location to where you need to be by his grace. And like Mephibosheth, God is probably going to bring that grace to us through other people. It may be a co-worker, it may be a neighbor, it may be a fellow student, it may be a friend, it may be a complete stranger, but God will send that Zeba in your life to encourage you just when you need it because of his grace. Oh, after we've just been married for a couple years and we're in ministry, didn't know too much about the IRS, found out more about the IRS than I ever wanted to know. <laughs> One day they came knocking at our door, two men in white shirts, black ties, black matching pants, and knocked on our door and said they were there to collect about $2,000 that we owed them that we'd underpaid. We thought living in a minister's home was free. We didn't know we had to pay Social Security tax on that. We underpaid our taxes. They were there to collect. I'm thinking, man, of all the people, millions of dollars, why did you come knocking on my door? But it scared me to death. I was nervous. They said, you have 10 days or we're going to come and pursue collections. I was nervous. I, I thought they were going to throw me in jail. I, that, I didn't know, but I really thought at the time, oh, no, what am I going to do? So I, I went to the IRS office there in downtown Nashville, walked into that waiting room where you remember you used to pull those little numbers, and there were a ton of people in front of me, and I'm sitting there by myself, and I'm sure I was just shaking my legs, and I'm just sitting there looking at my papers, nervous as I'll get out, and I was a long way, I could just ask me, I'm probably going to be here an hour and a half or so just waiting to see them. Thought, may I just come back? Said, no, I got to stay here. I just got to see what's going to happen. Get this thing over with. So I'm sitting there, and this guy across the room, never seen before in my life, didn't know who he was, came and sat down next to me. He says, 
looks like you're a little bit nervous. I thought, oh, no. Well, I'm nervous. I don't want to talk to you. You know, I just want to just be by myself. But he kept pursuing me. He kept talking to me and asking me things. And finally, I opened up to him and said, yeah, we got this tax bill. We don't, I don't know how we're, it might as well be $200,000. If it's $2,000, it just, you know, we don't have the money. Afraid they're going to throw me in jail. Nah, nah. That's all you owe? I owe over $100,000 for business. I've been here five or six times still trying to work this thing. They're, you're going to spend 10 minutes with them. They're going to set up a plan. You're going to be just fine. Wow. What a gift. He said, here, take my number. He was like the second one. And I'll take yours. And let's do that. Walked in, took about 10, 15 minutes, got the thing cleared up, walked out. He was still there. He stood up and said, hey, did it go okay? Went great. Walked out with me. I thought, okay. Can I pray with you? Can we praise God for what he's done through? Let me talk to you today. Yes, you can pray with me. We prayed together. Got my phone number. Called us up. Had Shannon and I come over to their house for dinner one night. Spent a lovely evening with them. Never saw them again. But they had a great influence upon our children down the road at Lipscomb. The grace and kindness of God when we needed the encouragement from a mistake, (laughs) unintentionally, that was just absolutely wearing us out. Peace came upon us that day because God pursued us from another person. I mean, it's just so marvelous when you think about those stories. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the Good Samaritan. I mean, of all the people that should have helped him, that he should have been able to count upon, none of them came to his aid. None of them helped them. But the one person you never expected to help shows up, doesn't he? He binds his wounds, takes them to the inn, pays for the inn, pays for his recovery. And what God is telling us in that story, expect God's grace to show up in the unexpected people. Your family may not help you. Your friends may not help you. Your church may not help you. But guess what? God will send someone who will help you. It'll probably come from an unexpected person, from an unex- some ziva that will come knocking at your door. The door of your life. And that's not a coincidence, folks. That is God's grace for you. God's grace for you to give you that gift of another chance. And we all need that encouragement, don't we? We all need those Barnabases in our life. It just means son of encouragement. What what a great nickname now. Oh, there comes encourager through the door. There's Mr. Encourager. Oh, man. Encourager, you want to be around that person, don't you? The Apostle Paul had been converted 10 years prior and spent most of the first 10 years of his ministry in obscurity and pain. Very little results, in danger, persecution, and he looked like he was going nowhere. In that same 10-year period of time in the city of Antioch, in a Gentile city, the church is exploding among the Gentiles. Barnabas is there encouraging that church and is growing by leaps and bounds. And God's grace falls upon Barnabas to make him the Ziba to come knocking at Saul's door. He goes and gets Saul and brings him back. And the church continues to grow. And Saul is now prepared. And there's missionary journeys. And the whole Roman Empire was changed by the cause of Christ. Simply because Barnabas walked into his life. And then when Barnabas and Saul and, and uh, John Mark are in a missionary journey. And they have a little bit of a disagreement. And Paul says, I want to go one way. Barnabas says, you go one way. I'm going to stick with John Mark. And I'm going to encourage him. And he encourages John Mark. Paul, at the end of his ministry, as he's in jail, he talks about being lonely and cold. He says, but John Mark came. 
John Mark was there for me. Only because Barnabas had encouraged John Mark, who Barnabas had encouraged Saul. And then there's John Mark in the life of Peter in Rome. And there Peter in those final days telling him through the Holy Spirit the gospel that John Mark writes down. The gospel of Mark that is filled with story after story of Jesus' encounters of where Jesus changed and gave people. Jesus changed the lives of others and gave them another chance. We need the Barnabases in our life. You need to be the Ziba for the Mephibosheth chefs that are around you. And you see this, that God brings that gift of another chance through his grace. But also he brings it to us through his favor. Through his favor. Mephibosheth is brought before the king. And there he's bowed before the king. And David's first words him, don't be afraid. Hear the kindness and the compassion. This is not judgment. This is favor I'm about to bring upon you. I'm giving you back all the property that used to belong to your family. I'm going to give you servants to work in your fields because you can't work. And they're going to bring a profit for you from that field. You and your family will always eat at my table. You will always be at my table. That's the grace. That's the favor of God. Amen? And that's what, that was, there was nothing that Mephibosheth could ever do to repay that favor or that grace. That was extended to him out of the kindness of King David. Mephibosheth could not say, well, you know, I'm going to do the dishes today to kind of pay back what you've done for me. You know, I'm going to fix the meal today for all of you because you've been so kind to me. I'm going to tip the servants today and do some of their work today because of what you've done for me. No. There's absolutely nothing Mephibosheth could ever do. This was all from the favor and the grace of David who gave him another chance And now Mephibosheth got to live in Jerusalem, property restored, right? Servants working for him, always at the table of the king because the king showed favor to him. God's favor is on you, that he saved you by grace through faith. It was not your own doing because you'd brag about it. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. His favor, his grace has redeemed you. It's restored you. He put, I'm thankful that he prepares that table before me in the presence of my enemy, the devil. I, I am thankful that God forgives me and restores me. That I always get to be in the presence of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Another chance from God involves his favor, his grace, but it also changes your future. It changes your future. It makes your future bright. King David moved Mephibosheth and his family out of Lodabar from that wasteland to live in Jerusalem where he belonged. Mephibosheth spent the rest of his life in Jerusalem always eating at the king's table. But wait, there's more. This was a great future, but wait, there's more. For it tells you David declared that Mephibosheth was like a son to him. He treated Mephibosheth like it was his own child. Don't let your past ruin your future. Your future is bright because you've been given another chance by God. And he declares you to be his child. It's an invitation for another chance. I think about communion that we take on a Sunday morning. Do you really understand the power of communion? Always at the table of Jesus Christ. Always remembering how Christ died for our sins to redeem us. Always remembering that we're part of God's royal family. Always remembering that we're welcome to take of this Thanksgiving meal. It's sometimes called the Eucharist of this bread in the cup. Proclaiming the new life and opportunity that we have through the Lord's death. Always looking to the future. 
knowing one day that in heaven, we're going to sit at the banquet table. And we're always going to be at that banquet table eating that meal with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? In 2 Timothy chapter 9, verse 11, it said, Mephibosheth was treated by David like he was his own son. Through today, by God's grace and his favor, and through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you can declare, I am a child of God. Would you say that with me? I am a child of God.